Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. I'm Rob Wolf, glad to be with you for another edition of New Books in Science Fiction. We've dropped the and fantasy for the moment. Our editor is experimenting with another channel that is going to focus more on that genre, but I am reserving the right to discuss fantasy books here as well, especially because, as far as I'm concerned, the lines between genres aren't that clear, at least not to me. Isn't science fiction a kind of fantasy? The word fiction itself means the story is a fantasy of the author's devising. Usually, I am a solo host, but today I am very excited that I have a co-host here with me by the name of Aubrey Fox. Hey, Aubrey. Hey, Rob. I asked Aubrey to join me because I couldn't resist the allure of a Wolf and Fox co-host combo. Now, actually, Aubrey is my good friend, he's wicked smart, and he recommended that I read the books that we're discussing today. Dave Hutchinson's Europe in Autumn and Europe at Midnight. So I thought before we got Dave on the line, uh, we could talk a little bit about them. Um, so, Aubrey, tell me, tell me what you liked about these books and why you recommended them to me. Well, first of all, Rob, I should thank you. It's, it's not often that you get to read a, a wonderful set of books and then tell your friend about them and uh, end up getting to interview the author. So that's... Uh, quite a nice opportunity for me. Well, I'm uh, just a magical kind of guy <laughs> who can make things like that happen. <laughs> so, uh, in thinking about why I like this book so much, I think there's really three things that leap to mind. I, I, I should say I'm, I read a lot of genre fiction. I read a lot of science fiction and mystery. I, I love those genres. And, you know, the thing that really appeals to me about Dave's books are how he busts genres and really straddles them. And so if you if you read these books, you see a lot of uh, classic sci-fi in there, but you also see uh, echoes of authors like Jean Le Carré and Alan First, some of my favorite spy novelists. And I thought that was very exciting, actually. And the, the way that the, the books straddle the worlds of sci-fi and, and mystery thriller are, are really quite exciting. The, the first book in this now four-part projected series. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I didn't even know that. There's talk of a fourth book You're bringing now. news. Breaking news. Yeah. Uh, the first book is probably nine, 90% thriller in the Jean Le Carré tradition and 10% science fiction. Absolutely. And in fact, it's something I wanted to perhaps ask Mr. Hutchinson about, that he really goes on quite a bit in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and it does seem more like a spy thriller. You're not quite sure if it's, it's sort of science fiction or speculative fiction until closer to the end. Yeah, and the... The second book is exactly the opposite. It's 90% fantasy and 10% hard-boiled thriller noir. So I I like the genre-busting part of it. I thought, you know, and we'll talk about this, particularly given the context and timing, it's an eerily prescient book. Uh, Our series is called Fractured Europe, the the series as a whole, and it's about uh, Europe basically decomposing into hundreds and hundreds of nation-states, some no larger than a building or a housing complex, or a railway line. Uh, there's a great scene in one of the books that 
describes a, a Eurovision competition, the big singing contest, where there's 532 entries. That's right. Yeah. Uh, very, very funny uh, notion. And, you know, we've got Brexit, the big Brexit vote coming tomorrow. Tomorrow. And in fact, when we call uh, Mr. Hutchinson in a few minutes, I think it already is tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, he, he some speculative scenarios really seemed far off. But this one uh, we're seeing played out in the news today. And I guess the last thing I'll say is, you know, it's just an extremely entertaining book. I mean, it it's written in a very sophisticated way, so it's it it takes a little time to get into it because there's the the mysteries of the book are presented right away, and you takes some time to figure out where you are in this world. But you know, the effort he puts into constructing the world really pays off because once you figure out what's going on, it's just so fascinating and so unique. Yeah, and the characters too, I think, are well drawn, and so that carries you along, carried me along for quite a bit as well. Yeah. So was that three things? You did it all was three? three? I did three. Wow. Yeah, uh, some people only deliver two, but I did three. That is amazing. I may have you come back and just keep doing that, because I don't have to really say that much then. All right, so uh, we're going to have uh, Dave Hutchinson join us. Uh, how about right now? Hi, Dave. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Rob. It's great to be here. Dave Hutchinson has had a long career. He published four volumes of stories by the age of 21. Uh, that was in the late 70s, early 80s. And then he worked as a journalist for a while and returned to fiction in the mid-aughts or so. The books we're discussing today, uh, Europe in Autumn, was published in 2014. And it was nominated for the 2015 Arthur C. Clarke, British Science Fiction Association, and John W. Campbell Memorial Awards. And Europe in Autumn was followed in 2015 uh, with not its sequel, but Dave has described it as a spinoff or a, um, I guess you have described it as a spinoff, haven't you? Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's like Frasier. It's like <laughs> Frasier, right. Okay, good. That's what, that's what, that's what a friend says. <laughs> um, that uh, Europe at Midnight, that's the book we're talking about. And it's those two books that we're going to talk about today. Okay. You know, Aubrey and I were just talking about this, that we couldn't have thought of a better uh, better timing to talk about uh, your books because of the Brexit vote, which which for us is is tomorrow. But since you're in England, I don't know, you're almost you're almost there, I think, aren't you? Or are you already? Yes, I, I think the polls open in about uh, eight hours. So the books in your Fractured Europe sequence, they seem to anticipate this moment where, you know, once there's been a unified Europe, in your books, it's now breaking apart, and they don't just stop, uh, the, the countries don't just stop at, say, you know, Great Britain breaking from the EU or Scotland breaking from Great Britain, but it's really like a crumbling Europe where Europe is breaking up into lots and lots of tiny pocket nations. Some, some are just a few blocks wide. So, you know, I was wondering, are you taking credit for anticipating uh, Brexit? And No, no, I'm certainly not. No, I want nothing to do with this utter <laughs> nightmare that we've been going through for the past, it seems like, several decades. No, I mean, the, when, I, when I wrote Autumn, the, the referendum was, you know, just a, a comforting dream in the minds of some Tory MPs, I think. No, I mean, we. there's always been a strange kind of ambivalence in, in Britain towards membership of Europe. And um, I kind of wanted to reflect that in the books. Um, but the, the actual referendum, I, I didn't foresee that at all. Um, it's become something of a nightmare for me. 
in a nightmare and and just because you're opposed to it? Well, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a very enthusiastic European. I they may not look it from the books, but I but I'm very keen on the sort of the the ideal of Europe, and especially the uh, the borderless Schengen zone. And so, where where did the where did the concept of the uh, of a fractured Europe come from then? I wanted to write. I sat out some years ago. Wanted to write a, a near future thriller, and I'm very fond of sort of Cold War espionage books. And I wanted to do something like that, but setting them in Europe was a bit difficult because the whole point of Cold War thrillers is that you're you know crossing borders and having to escape from countries and oppressive regimes. And there weren't any. So I had to think of a reason why the the borders would go back up again in Europe. Um, and so I, I just put the borders back up. And then for some reason, I have no idea why, I just thought, well, why not split up the countries even further? And once that concept sort of popped up, I thought, well, why not push it as far as I can? So in autumn, there is a uh, a housing block, um, a residential block in Berlin, which declares itself an independent nation. And they, they really get down that small. It was really, you know, pushing the idea as hard as I could to see if I could get it work, get it to work. And uh, and then even and then that housing block, two 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 of the buildings go to war with the other two buildings. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, it's it's really a, a sort of a an organised crime gang that sort of decides to go go to war against itself. It's I mean there is there's an element of satire to it, uh, obviously. And as I said, when I when I started writing, I mean I started writing autumn. Ah. Oh, 90, sometime in the late 1990s and was picking at it and picking at it and putting it away and picking it up again and picking at it again. So all of the stuff we're having now is, it was way in the future of the book when I actually started writing it. So I, I, I mean, this isn't sort of me making prognostications or predictions. It was just I, I wrote what I thought was a very satisfying for me anyway, a satisfying thriller. And then I think Autumn came out around the same time as the the referendum about Scotland leaving the United Kingdom. And that was a bit spooky. And then there was all the, the business of the uh, Russia invading Ukraine, uh, Crimea. And I sort of watched this with increasing horror. Um, and I've watched it ever since with the... Um, the refugee crisis in Southern Europe, where some members of, uh, of the EU have actually hardened their borders and rescinded uh, freedom to travel in order to stem the, the refugee crisis. And it seems to me that once they start doing that, once they contemplate rescinding the Schengen area, then it's going to be easier to do the next time. And all of this, all of this was, you know, I had the ideas for the book and I wrote and was perfectly happy with it. Then all this happened afterwards. So it wasn't an act of sort of projection or prediction at all. And do you, do you think that this, the fact that it more, more or less accidentally conforms to larger political developments, just strictly speaking from a 
you know, recognition of the book? Did it? Do you think it improved the reception of the book? Do you think people, whether you meant it or not, you know, the ideas landed harder because it seemed to be in line with the larger developments? Probably yes, um, but I, I take no great pleasure from it. Yeah. When when autumn came out, I can't remember the exact timing of it, but shortly after autumn came out, I think there was the Crimea crisis and people were saying to me oh you're really lucky the book came out right now because all this is going on and I was saying to people no are you insane people are, people are dying you know how can I be lucky how can this be lucky for anybody it was just a complete coincidence and yeah I mean I, I suppose it has some currency if it had come out 10 years ago it would have been you know probably a bit of a curiosity and nothing more and it's just, it literally is just a total coincidence that, you know, events have sort of coincided with the books. Well, your main character in Europe in August, Rudy, is a cook, and he takes on the role, and I'm going to say this terribly because it's a French word, and I think you even make a a, a, a bit of a controversy about it in the book, the pronunciation, but a courrier, courrier de Dubois. But I kept reading it as courier because that's just me being an American who doesn't speak. Well, I, 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 I think that's where the this where courier comes from. You know, they're, they're basically people who, I mean, the 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 actual meaning is runners in the woods, right? Which I I, I think is a it's a lovely phrase. And and so Rudy and and the the, the couriers are advocates of, of a free and open border. So so a, a, the book almost reads as in fact taking a stand because you like Rudy so much and you sort of feel like there's something noble and something so absurd about these fractured borders. So many of them, um, I think it I think it does present a vision or, or a uh, I guess support for a, a borderless Europe. Yeah, it's it's very much a, a mission statement from me. I mean, I, I I'm in a weird position in that I I'm very much in favour of the free movement of people across borders. It seems just basically the civilised thing to do. On the other hand, um, I think the Europe that Rudy lives in is kind of it's vibrant with possibility. Um, a lot of people said it's a dystopia, and I don't think it's a dystopia. I would be perfectly happy to live there. Hmm. There's so much go- there's so much going on, and there's so much energy to it. You know. Well, the food is is clearly very good because Rudy's a very good cook, isn't he? He he's pretty good. Yeah, he's um, he does his best. He's very professional. Well, so one one aspect of the story, which really, and it's interesting because you only reveal it, I I don't know, I think it's like 80% into the first book, uh, is that there's a parallel Europe that exists that is is hidden. And that Europe is, in fact, unified. And and you expand on it in the next book where you realize that, and it's called the community. I'm just letting uh, our listeners know, too, that everyone, so it's, it's basically, I think it sounded to me like, the Brexit advocate's dream come true because it's it's just England. It's like England from Portugal to Siberia. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is basically it's where Nigel Farage would really like to live. I think. Yes, Eng- England England imagined as this pastoral train, you know, the the steam engines rolling by, and 
and yet it clearly becomes uh, a nightmare in, right. in how it's described. Yeah, I mean, you describe it. I'm just going to read very a couple sentences here. You're like, there were only English things here. There were no other languages, only regional dialects, no other cuisines but English, no other clothing styles but English, no other architectural styles but English. It was awful. And, and England always wins the World Cup in that world, I'm sure. Oh, <laughs> I never actually thought that, you know, the World Cup never occurred to me. Eurovision occurred. Well, actually, a, fr- a friend of mine suggested Eurovision, but um, no, the World Cup never occurred to me. I, actually, I don't, I don't know if they, the community actually has football. I must, I must think about that for the, for the next book. <laughs> oh, good. And you, that means you're going to name a character Aubrey Fox. <laughs> <laughs> Well, okay, it's a deal. Just like he's going to name his baby <laughs> after you, his baby to be born at any any minute, perhaps even in the middle of this podcast. That's right. This <laughs> the the breaking news will be our podcast will be renamed Adventures in Baby Delivery. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your use of genre and the way you were play you play with genre aubrey was commenting to me about this before we called you that the first book starts out more like a spy thriller uh and then has a has a portion of it that feels more like science fiction but that only comes at the end and it's it's a very interesting choice you made and i wonder if was it a choice did it did it uh was it just organically it felt like the right thing to do um it wasn't really planned that way. Um, I got about two-thirds of the way through the book, and the the process of writing the book took a long, long time. And for, for years and years and years, it, it lay around on bits of paper, just, just in pieces. And <clears throat> when I came to put it together, I realized that there needed to be something. Other, otherwise, I would just have a series of sort of Rudy's adventures and that would be fine but it would be kind of a bit dull um, so I sat around wondering of what I what I could do and I had uh, a short story which is based of the, the, the story of the the wit and wipes lights and the maps and I thought yeah okay and I sort of fitted it into the story into the book and realized that it worked, and then I kind of went back and retrofitted everything to go around this this story. And so the Witten Whites, just for listeners, they're, they're the ones who discover the existence of the parallel universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or they create it, actually. I think that's what we become to understand. Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, by means, I'm not quite sure of yet. Um, I'm trying to keep it as vague as possible so nobody can pull me up on the science. <laughs> and so no one could actually do it because that would be really scary. Oh, God, no, I don't, I don't want to take responsibility for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I actually have a question about the craft of writing, if I may. Um, mm. I, I'm sort of curious. You, you, so this, the ideas that you present in the book you've been thinking about for a while. You said you had bits and pieces of the first novel as far back as like the late 90, 90s, and you've spent... I don't know, three or four years probably working in earnest on this series. And I'm, I'm just sort of wondering, how does it feel to have... I mean, I think this is maybe a, a difference between a reader and a writer. Um, you know, a reader comes in, they read a book, and then they go on and read another book, and they read another, a third book, and, you know, again and again and again. And it's a pleasure to just kind of dip in and out. You, on the other hand, you're you're constantly marinating, I imagine, in, in these ideas, and you have to work 
steadily for years and years to produce a series. And how does that sit? Does it does it do you get tired of of the theme? How do you keep yourself fresh? And maybe I should ask am I am I describing it correctly for you? Are 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 you able to you know work on multiple projects at once? I tend not to be able to work at multiple on multiple projects at once. So I've, I've got quite a short attention span. Um so I like to just do one thing at a time. But I've I've not I've not grown tired of the books at all. Um, I should point out that right from the, the outset, I, I never planned it to be a series. I started out, uh, I wrote the one book. I was overjoyed to get it published, mm. you know, and I was, you know, over the moon. I was, I was really happy. But I had some bits left over when I'd finished it that I, I couldn't sort of fit them into autumn because they would have ruined the, the rhythm of the book. And when it started sort of picking up attention, I, I said to the publishers, look, I've got these bits. Do you fancy having a follow-up? And they said yes. And that's that's how Europe at Midnight got written. And then when that was written, it kind of was logical to do a third one, to make it a trilogy. And then I got talked into doing a fourth one, um, which I haven't started yet. I haven't begun that yet. But that will be called uh, Europe at Dawn. And that will be the last one. Um, I don't want to get into a situation where I'm sort of in my 80s and still churning these things. <laughs> <laughs> Running out of ideas. So you said you were overjoyed when you got it published. I'm, I'm curious because it has, you know, had a real impact. Um, what, what were some of the early milestones beyond it getting published where you started to feel like, wow, this, this book is doing better than, you know... I may have even expected. Like, what, what were what were the signs that you you had something on your hands? Um, it got mentioned a couple of times in the papers over here in the Guardian, um, and people started saying some really rather nice things about it. I I started to think, well, maybe I've got something right for a change, and it, it, it gained a sort of wider readership because people had mentioned it in public. And then, of course, it started getting nominated for awards. Didn't win any, of course, but uh, the nominations was just, you know, I'd, I'd never imagined in my wildest dreams that, you know, anything I would write would be nominated for anything. So, you know, picking up the nomination for the BSFA Award and the Clark last year and the, and the Campbell as well was just, you know, extraordinary. So I, I think it was it was when people started sort of Mentioning it in, I mean, Adam Roberts mentioned it in his um, end of year roundup in the Guardian, and that really started the ball rolling. I think, and that, that made me think, yeah, maybe I've done, you know, and and obviously the reviews were very positive, and that made me think, yeah, okay, people are getting this, and you know, I've, I've actually, I've, I've actually got it right. It was just a really strange experience. I, it's, it's a, I've been writing for a long time, and it's the first time that's ever happened to me, on that scale anyway. So it's, it's been a bit of a wild ride. What was going on in your mind during your hiatus from fiction writing? I know you've worked as a journalist, so you've continued to write, but were you kind of fed up with the business for a while between your you know, early set of books and then your more recent ones? I mean, you took something like 20 years... I guess it wasn't off because you've just described how you've been working on these books in that in that interim. 
Well, I, I, I went to university and I basically dried. I completely dried. And I, I didn't write anything for another 10 years. And then I'd been working as a journalist in London for some time and I, I just started writing again and submitting stuff. And I, I sold stuff to sci-fiction. I managed to get one story in Interzone, which I, I was very proud of. And, you know, he, little stories here and there. Um, I had a novel published in uh, the year 2000, I think, as a print-on-demand thing. That's The Villages? Is that right? That's, that's The Villages, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then there was a collection of short stories called As the Crow Flies a few years later. So I was, I was sort of churning stuff out. But I was still working as a journalist, so it was a bit difficult to sort of write. And, you know, if you're writing all day anyway, and then come home and write all night, it gets a bit sort of tiring. So I, I took took my foot off the pedal a little bit. And then uh, back in 2010, I was made redundant from the newspaper. And it sort of gave me time to write to write full time. You guys have such a quaint way of putting, getting, getting... I was, I was laid off. Or get, saying getting fired, yeah, or laid off, right? Yeah. Redundant just sounds so like, I don't know, there's another one of you still working away over there or something. <laughs> you, were cl- you were cloned. We were, we were downsized, I think is a, is a, is a correct term. We were, we were downsized. Well, it's the world's gift, it's the reader's gift that it gave you the time to write these amazing books. Oh, thank you. As a fanboy, I, I was telling Rob that I begged and pleaded to be included in this interview, um, and I said, "This is, you know, this is big, this is the big time, man. I don't know if I can let you on here." <laughs> um, what What can you tell us about the third book? What What can we expect to to read? And you obviously don't give anything away. Um, the third book. Um, it comes out in November, right? Yes, the beginning of November. Yes, I, I should explain to people listening, maybe. I don't know if it's a spoiler or not. Midnight is Midnight is not a direct sequel to Autumn, but it it bears a relationship to Autumn. So Rudy, the main character of Autumn, really isn't in Midnight. He makes a cameo. You know, it's the same world. Yeah, he shows up. Yeah, it is. I I wanted to I wanted them to kind of intersect at a certain point, and the the, the reader will think, oh yes, I know I know what he's doing, I, and they they can figure out where everything fits together. Europe in Winter is more of a direct sequel to Europe in Autumn. And it's about a... Well, Rudy Rudy sets out to to try and tidy up some loose ends of his life and some of the mysteries about who's been manipulating him and sort of moving around the chessboard and everything. And he gets more than he bargained for. He finds an even bigger conspiracy than the community and that has a bearing on the community's relationship to our Europe as well and so basically he finds himself caught in a kind of clandestine war between two or more contending parties and there's lots of daring do and there's lots of tradecraft and spy stuff and there are two funerals and there's one big explosion (laughs) So we'll get our money's worth, is what you're what you're saying. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no one's asked for a refund yet. 
That's because they're they're actually just reading them in an alternate universe where they're free, actually, <laughs> so they don't have to pay for them. <laughs> <laughs> They've probably been torrented already. So. <laughs> right. The impetus for the fourth book did that come from your publisher? Did it? Did it? Kind of, did you sort of have a speaking feeling that you know this story needed to be to be played out uh, in a fourth book? I'm, where 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 did that idea come from? Um. Basically, readers talked me into it on Twitter. Um, be, if, it's, if it's a really bad book, you can blame them. Actually, one of the things I was, I was talking to somebody one night, and um, we were talking about canals, and it suddenly occurred to me that I completely m- missed putting canals in the the other books. And it's such an obvious thing if you if you know if you know the sort of the structure of the books. There's a lots of lots of trains. And I thought we had canals was just an obvious thing, and I missed it completely. And all of a sudden, I wanted to write a book um, which involved canals somehow. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, don't get talked into streams and other tributaries because then you will be writing into. Like- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I did actually say this at the end of the third book. I, I told people to shoot me if I even looked like I was going to write a fourth one. But uh, yeah, I, I. I don't plan on writing a fifth one. Well, since the people on Twitter inspired you, you could just write it in 140 characters, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, no, it's, it's just, it's very strange for me how popular, I mean, t- Twitter is a great sort of thing. I, you know, I have a lot of friends and people who've read the books and they sort of, we, we sort of make jokes and send each other pictures of what Rudy might actually look like and stuff like that. And very occasionally, out of that, that conversation, little bits of ideas pop up, um, and they kind of they they start aggregating together until they reach critical mass, and then all of a sudden you have kind of a a scene or an idea or a piece of action that you can build a book around. Um, it's a very strange thing, and that that's, that really is how. Um, how Dawn has come about, and you know, and I, 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 I think I finished, I finished Europe, Europe in winter, and I had a kind of sneaky suspicion that I wasn't quite finished. There were still some loose ends that needed explaining and tidying up. So I don't, I'm doing that. I'm hoping I'm not going to tidy up all of them because life's not like that. You know, I read a, the blog post you had where you were talking about Brexit, actually, and you pointed out that a lot of the discussion, you know, is basically about immigration. And, uh, you know, even though it might be veiled or people are talking about other things, and it's not just any kind of immigration, but people, you know, resisting or not liking folks coming from Southern Europe, Eastern Europe, you know, they don't care about the French or the Dutch or the Scandinavians. And, and interestingly, the your Europe books, I mean, especially um, Europe in Autumn, is uh, set in Eastern Europe, and it made me wonder, you know, about your uh, affinity for that part of the world. If you'd done research or lived there, what your connection to it was? I've I've, I've visited Poland quite a lot. Eastern Europe is not really mentioned very much in science fiction. I mean, this is this is one of the reasons I wanted to write Europe in Autumn in the first place is that. You don't get very much about Europe 
uh, in science fiction. It's not, it's not a, an issue that's dealt with, but it, there is this huge area of possibility just across the English Channel. And you don't get science fiction stories set in France or Spain, not, not written by English speakers anyway. And I wanted to do that. I wanted to kind of address, to address that. And once you start learning about Eastern Europe, you realize the, the, the kind of sweep of history that has gone through down the years. Um, Poland, for example, for a long time didn't actually exist as a nation. It was just part of Russia. And it's, it's, a, it's a kind of recent, it's a, a relatively recent reappearance on the map of Europe. Uh, Germany is a, a, as a nation is a, a relatively recent thing. Italy is um, you know an agglomeration of tiny states and parts of France as well. And you know no, nations have been kind of appearing and disappearing on Europe for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. So the whole sort of continent is in flux continually and I just find that I just found that fascinating I mean I, I am interested in Eastern Europe I, I have sort of Polish friends and I, I just love the, I just love that part of the world one of the things I wanted to do in, in with European Dawn I, I realized there was one great omission that I'd made that I'd, I'd not actually dealt with Southern Europe at all really I mean there's, there's one chapter in Boston which is setting in the Greek islands. But apart from that, I haven't really dealt with Southern Europe at all, and I wanted to, to redress that and maybe have a look at how the, the refugee crisis might play out over the next um, sort of 50 or 80 years. I, I mean, I, I, I was kind of aware that I'd, I'd stuck to Northern Europe and Central Europe uh, in the other books, and I wanted to kind of see what my imagination came up with in, in the South. I mean, it was certainly a very fresh feeling to have it set initially in Poland, and it, it gave it a kind of, as a an American reader, a certain, a, a, an interesting foreignness, you know, especially with the uh, the science fiction overlay. Mm. And Estonia as, Estonia as well, which I've, I've only recently actually visited, um, which is a wonderful country. The, peop the people are absolutely great, and the food's terrific. I'm not actually sure why I made Rudy Estonian, but I'm 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 pleased I made the choice because again you you make a decision about where a character comes from, and then there's all this sort of background material that you can use. Writing for me is very very hard work. Um, I find it sort of mentally and physically quite difficult, but you know it was it was fun writing Europe in autumn. It really, it really was a lot of fun, and and sort of playing in that um, in that world is such a joy. You know, I, I really, I kind of, I'm kind of thinking about it all the time, and it's going to be hard to put it down, but I, I will have to put it down eventually. Was the next book as as fun to write, or did you feel more pressure because you had a deadline?
And I said to them, oh, I'll, I'll have it finished sort of by the end of July. Something like that. I said, fine, oh, great, okay. And um, they sent me a contract, and I, I, like a lot of writers, I probably I didn't bother to read it properly. I just looked at how much they were going to pay me. And I sat down and I wrote the book in about eight weeks. Uh, eight or ten weeks, I can't remember what it was. Wow. And uh, I delivered it. I, I, I sent off the sort of finished draft. And my editor was away on holiday. And a couple of weeks later, he, he sort of emailed me back and said, Oh, thanks for the book, Dave. A whole year early. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. <laughs> um, and what they, when I'd said July, they thought I'd meant July this um, July 2015, July of the following year. So, I wish. We, I mean, it was it was great in a way because we had a whole year to tweak it and sort of kick it around and add things and take things out of it. And there was, you know, there's a lot of time for it to mature. How did you do that? I mean, it took you 15 years or more to do the first book, and then it took you two months to do the second one. And they're both about the same length, I think, aren't they? There were a lot. There were a lot of bits. As I say, there were a lot, a lot of bits left over from autumn. So there was a kind of a there was a kind of, I don't know, a shell to build it around. I didn't have to do all the world building. But I'm not sure, really. I, I just sat down and wrote it. Well, I'm very impressed. But, I mean, I don't recommend that to anybody. And please, 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 if anybody's listening, don't do that. <laughs> read, read your contracts and make sure when your books are supposed to be in. I mean, I had a, I had a whole year to write, more or less, um, European Winter. So it was a much more pleasant experience. But it's a little like the trick people do. They set their clock five minutes ahead so they won't be late. You, you just set yours one year ahead. It's, <laughs> it's not that different, really. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, I, I feel such a fool about doing it. <laughs> but, you know, the book, as I say, the, the, the book got finished, it got delivered, um, and we had, you know, most of a year to, to think about it and polish it up a little bit and add, add bits and take stuff off, which was good. You know, if, I, if, I'd, if I'd sort of written right up to the deadline, we might not have had that, that time to do that. And it's a better book for it. So what you, what you lose on the swings, you gain on the roundabouts. Well, thank you so much. It's really been so much fun talking to you. Yes, thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good to speak to you. Good luck with the vote today. I guess it's today for you now, right? It's past midnight. It is, yes. It is. Um, it's going to be close, and if we leave, I'm going to be really angry. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I like Europe all together and one happy family, <laughs> or if not even happy, dysfunctional family. You know. There, well, there is a, there is a lot wrong with the EU, but I'm I'm happier to be in it than not. Okay. Well, fingers crossed. We'll keep we'll keep fingers crossed anyway. If you. If you hear a howl from across the Atlantic, that's me. We'll keep our ears open for it. <laughs> Aubrey Fox and I have been speaking with Dave Hutchinson. He's the author of Europe in Autumn and Europe at Midnight and the forthcoming Europe in Winter and the forthcoming, forthcoming Europe at Dawn. We wish Great Britain and the rest of Europe the best of luck with uh, the vote tomorrow. And meanwhile, whether Great Britain 
is crumbling or thriving, uh, we ask that you please subscribe <laughs> to our podcast. <laughs> Let's get our priorities straight, people. That was, that uh, was a professional uh, transition there, yeah. <laughs> um, You can also follow us on Facebook to make yourself feel better if things didn't work out the way you wanted it to. And you can follow us on Twitter at New Books Sci-Fi. And Dave, what's, what's your Twitter handle? It's... Um it's Hutchinson Dave. At, at, at Hutchinson Dave, yes. Okay, great. At Hutchinson Dave. And a special thanks to Aubrey, my friend here, for joining me today. And uh, a special, special thanks to your beautiful wife, Robin, for not having your baby during the podcast. But you can text her now and say that it's okay. <laughs> and our logo is by Michael Thibodeau. Our music is by Michael Aaron. And the editor of the New Books Network is Marshall Poe. I am Rob Wolf. You know, check out my books if you feel like it the alternate universe and the escape and you can follow me on twitter at rob wolf books thanks for listening